Hello there, welcome to another MLEX podcast. My name's James Paniki. I'm the MLEX Brussels Managing Editor, which would suggest at least some oversight of all MLEX journalism undertaken in Brussels. And one of the biggest stories around Europe recently has been the institutional response to struggling and failing European banks. Earlier this month, Banco Popular Español was pushed into a forced sale after the European Central Bank found that it was likely to fail. This attracted some criticism at the time, and this week came the news that bondholders of the bank are likely to take legal action against that forced sale. Now, there's plenty to unpack here, and who better to help us do that than John Riga, MLEX's Chief Correspondent for Financial Services. Hello, John. Hello. Okay, let's take a few steps back. Italian and Spanish banks are being shut down. That's the part of the story that we know. But what's the deal? What's what's going on? Europe has a zombie banks problem. This is uh, considered one of the major uh, things holding back the economy is that they have lots of banks, banks all over Europe, no problem with the number of banks. But when they're financially weak, they don't lend as much. A weak lender does not lend as much as the politicians want to help sort of revive the uh, the economy. And, and that's what a zombie bank is, so a, a bank that exists but doesn't do what a bank should be doing. Banks across Europe as a whole are holding on to something like 1 trillion euros worth of bad loans. These are loans that they know are not going to be repaid in full or very unlikely to be repaid in full. That's a trillion euros that's tied up in in bad loans that when they could be using that money to make uh, new loans. And that is obviously a concern. There are these weak uh, zombie banks around. Uh, Quickly remind us, though, of the institutional setup here. The decisions on whether or not to sell off these banks have been made by the SRB, the Single Resolution Board. What is it and how does it work? Well, after the financial crisis, out of a concern that there wouldn't be someone willing to, to pull the trigger on a failing bank, The EU created this single resolution board. At the moment, it has responsibility only for the Eurozone countries. Others may join. But it's there basically to make sure that if a bank does come to the brink, there's someone there to look after it to try to uh, affect an orderly cleanup. So it it effectively has that trigger. It has the authority to step in and to make these tough decisions. But also the European Central Bank, we should not overlook their role. It's a huge uh, change for the EU after the financial crisis. They put the ECB in charge of supervision of the banks, not just monetary policy. So that has created a second layer of, uh, of oversight, taking things away from the national governments where before they may have protected their local champion banks, but now we have the ECB and the SRB trying to uh, hold them to account. Okay, so that's the state of play at the moment. There are three banks being shut down and sold off. There are two Italians, Veneto Banca and Banca Popolare di Vicenza, which are two banks in in north eastern Italy. And then there's Spain's Banco Popolare. On the surface, they all face the same fate. So why is it that we're now in the midst of an outcry about the different treatment of banks? Banks in two countries, both facing the same problem, but treated in different ways because they were handled under different rules. The Spanish... Uh, bank was uh, was a much larger one. Uh, Banco Popular is uh, was the fifth largest bank by capital in Spain. That was seen as way too important to just uh, hand off to a normal bankruptcy court where things could be tied up for months. So that was handled under European rules, uh, fairly new rules with uh, much more discipline about things like uh, the the aid that a government can can provide. Who has to take losses in such a case? The Italian banks, much smaller, purely regional lenders, and and actually with not a lot of uh, business left on their book. So it was deemed they were not likely to uh, upset the wider financial system, so uh, they were able to be uh, handled under local Italian bankruptcy law. And what did that mean in in real terms? Obviously, there were winners and losers on on both fronts, but there are fewer losers uh, in the Italian case, right? Well, for the investors, there is a difference because 
Uh, of course, shareholders in both cases wiped out. Junior debt holders pretty much wiped out. But the difference was, in the Spanish case, the senior debt holders were also wiped out. The Italians were able to protect them because they were allowed to do that under, under their local law. And we'll get back to those senior debt holders in just a, a moment. Also a bone of contention in all of this is state aid. And now after the many uh, vicissitudes of the Monte di Paschi di Siena, which is the ultimate uh, bailout bank, there were all of these post-crisis rules which were supposed to end state aid and bailout. So what's happened in the case of the Italian banks? Well, there was a hue and cry about, um, about all these cases, the fact that any state aid was involved because uh, we, we are supposed to have abolished this. For sure, the taxpayers have, have been put on the hook for uh, close to 5 billion euros just to kind of lubricate that sale of the two small uh, banks from the Veneto region. That just shows that the rules were never trying to minimize state aid, but they were, could never really completely abolish it because there will, there will be a role for governments to to sometimes put in some money just to help kind of clean up the mess. And, and, and you've always been quite, uh, I mean, your take on this has not been quite as much of, of a condemnation as my take has been all of, on, on all of this. And we should specify that I spent my adolescence in, in Italy, and so I take a, a very harsh view of Italian state aid in particular, given that, the, um, for example, the, the flag airline Alitalia has been propped up for years and it's just been an absolute money vampire. But you seem to be a bit more compassionate in your take on state aid in these, in these cases. But no credit to the Italian government, because they worked quite hard to actually try to keep these banks alive, uh, as they did with another set of small banks just before the new, more strict EU rules came into force. So in this case, we have uh, you know, a clear sign that these new rules are having some discipline. Mm. All right. This brings us to the Spanish case and the article which has gone out to subscribers, which you penned this week, dealt with the legal action that Banco Popular bondholders were gearing up to take against the single resolution board, or so everyone assumed. So on what basis would this legal action be, be undertaken and what is its objective? We're talking about holders of eight, some 850 million euros worth of bonds. Uh, investors who've been dispossessed by an authority without first going to court are usually going to have a grievance. Uh, so th- this is an unexpected on that front? Well, it seems impossible to me that authorities could shut down a bank and wipe out investments um, without going to court. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, clearly any resolution case is likely to end up before judges at some point. This case will be hugely important as a first test of this new single resolution board. And uh, the, the board will be tested both on how it's handled the case in just the, you know, the, the normal financial manners, but also the fact that it's, uh, there were some leaks about uh, the, the case as it was coming along, and there will be a lot of questions about statements uh, made by the board. Okay, well, let's take those issues one at a time. Firstly, on the information and on how the information was communicated uh, to the public and more broadly. What is the controversy there which is, um, which is really centred around comments made, public comments made by the uh, Single Resolution Board's uh, chairwoman, L.K. Conning? Well, the, uh, the public comments started uh, with her when there began to be market pressure on the bank. So journalists naturally asked if, you know, if the SRB was looking at uh, the bank. In uh, an interview with, with Bloomberg uh, in the month of May, uh, basically put on the spot, she said, uh, we, we, you know, we would never discuss an individual bank. We have more than one bank on our radar screen. But Banco Popular that, is one of them. And yeah. Banco Popular could be one of them. Yeah. 
so this could be, you know, taken as a for for a jittery investors. This could be, you know, could be taken as a sign. So, so the, the suggestion is that those public comments could have affected uh, the the bank's prospects. This is what the bondholders may allege if, yes. if the case does get to court. All right, but on on the other front, in terms of the finances of the bank itself, now. To a certain extent, we know some of the European Central Bank's thinking on this because they've 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 published uh, their report. It was uh, based, my understanding, is based around a, a Deloitte's uh, consultancy report on this. But a lot of the information there was redacted. Uh, presumably, they used the usual you know commercial and confidence excuse for redacting that information. The suggestion um, from your from your piece on this is that in fact those bondholders might want to gain access to that uh, redacted information. That's job one for them. They have to find out what it was that the authorities were looking at when they made the decision to dispossess them of their of their property. The Deloitte report has not been published. It will not be published if the SRB has its way, unless perhaps it's ordered to do so by a court. And so uh, the bondholders are going to have a hard time getting the information they need to to try to prove that the bank was not as badly off as uh, as the authorities said. So it, it really hinges on the content of that of that report because if the report suggests that in fact the bank might have had some prospects of survival, that will be enough for the bondholders to say, look, this was a bad decision. There are reports that the that the valuation came up with uh, quite a wide range of, of values uh, for the assets that the bank was holding. So. Uh, you know, where the authorities decided to, to place that value, that could be crucial. Okay, John. So what's uh, so much for, for Banco Popular, but what's next uh, more broadly? What's next on the agenda for Europe's supposed great banking cleanup? We may not see more weak banks uh, being pushed to the brink in quite the same way, but there will for sure be pressure on all the lenders across the region to try to own up to the losses on their books. They face tougher accounting rules, sharper scrutiny from the authorities, and uh, occasionally prod to uh, maybe to seek out merger partners. We still hear authorities uh, expressing a wish that you know more banks would get together and try to try to uh, you know strengthen their finances that way. Will the Banco Popular precedent put the fear of God into some banks? I mean, will it lead them to uh, to behave differently? Do you believe? It's uh, a great question. I think it, it certainly the investors will, because uh, as we've actually already seen with. With the Bank of Popular case, uh, considering the pressure that the prices for their bonds came under before the resolution action, mm-hmm. investors seem to have gotten a message that Europe is not going to bail them out every time a bank runs into trouble, which is the message the authorities wanted to give. John, great talking. We should do this uh, again sometime. Certainly. Thanks, James. John Riga is Chief Correspondent for Financial Services and covers the beat in Europe alongside our London-based FS correspondent, Hugo Coelho. John's analysis of Europe's banking angst is titled Banco Popular Wind-Up Faces Challenges Over Information as Much as Finances. And from me, James Paniki, on behalf of the MLEX team in Brussels, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you again very, very soon. Bye for now.